medieval philosophers were right. Man is the center of the universe. We stand in the middle of infinity between outer and inner space. And there's no limit to either. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of the IMMP, the Intermillennium Media Project Podcast. My name is Matthew Porter. And I'm Ian Porter. <clears throat> are you okay? I bit my tongue. Oh, are we going to send a team in to repair it from the inside? What? Well, we've talked about we've talked about submarines so far through the month of May. Yeah. Specifically, well, I was going to say one submarine, one submarine that changed a bit, and that is the Sea View mm-hmm. from the two different versions of Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. And we're continuing Submarine Month by talking about another submarine from the '60s, another nuclear submarine. That's right. It doesn't have missiles though, so I don't know how they could possibly do any research. <laughs> The missiles are for research. <laughs> but we're talking about a submarine called the Proteus. Oh, goodness. The names of these things, the names of the organization of the sub and all of this are the things I don't know of this property. Oh, the Proteus is such a cool name, though. It is. I know of this property, though. This is another one of those movies that I saw I don't know how many times because it would show up on a regular basis. On the uh, the Channel Seven Four Thirty movie, and I now once again now realize a an edited for television form, mostly ah. for time. But we are talking about the nineteen sixty six feature Fantastic Voyage. Oh my goodness! This is a you're describing this as another one that you've seen from from these repeats. This is another one I know via the cultural osmosis because. There are certain movies, there are certain stories that every show, cartoon, something else will wind up referencing or doing an episode of if given enough time. And this is on that list. The number of shows I can I can I can't think of any of them specifically, but the number of them that make reference to taking a submarine inside a person like that have it, the, the just the concept is so ubiquitous i don't know about cultural osmosis but at a, at a certain scale osmosis is a, a process to be reckoned with <laughs> absolutely i mean i definitely can say that this probably had a, a large impact on the magic school bus no a, question and no question the magic school bus definitely had an impact on me so i've at least got a couple of degrees <laughs> of connection to this and in addition to that, this movie brings back some familiar faces or familiar names. This was directed by Richard Fleischer. And this is not the first time we've encountered this director in, uh, in the IMMP. Oh, One yes. of our very first episodes was about a movie he directed. 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea? Yes, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. This guy likes the submarines. Oh, yeah. Maybe he's his agent, and he insists to his agent, every decade, I need to make a submarine movie. You know what? That's just a really cool <laughs> policy to have. Now, I don't know if that continued, although we did see another movie directed by him, Conan the Destroyer. Not a submarine movie. <laughs> no, not a submarine although movie. Although the Conan on a submarine movie would be wonderful. That would. So we've watched a Fleischer movie from the 50s and now from the 60s and from the 80s. We've got to find something of his from the 70s that we should watch just just to to fill that out. Oh, yeah. But this is, yeah, this is Richard Fleischer directing uh, the film written by Harry Kleiner based on a story by Otto Clement and Jerome Bixby. Jerome Bixby. Any relation? None that I can find. (laughs) Oh, well. I guess that makes this a tangential episode of Bixby Boys? I guess, sort Maybe. of semi-honorary uh, Bixby Boys although, episode. none of the original story that Otto Clement and Jerome Bixby, outside of the shrinking a team down to go inside someone for a medical <laughs> procedure, was kept. So, so. this <laughs> this is not Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, it's Voyage to the Top of the Scientist. <laughs> yes! Because the premise here is that 
It all has to do with the CMDF, the Combined Miniaturized Defense Forces. Who have amazing logo and amazing branding, I must say. Like, <laughs> I kind of like their aesthetic. This is, there's something about that angular sloped surfaces and pop bright colors in spots in like, certain areas that like 60s, the late 60s, early 70s kind of things had. And this is just a fine example of that. I love that look. Great, great logo design. I don't know where they filmed those opening scenes with, well, not the very opening scenes, but the first we see of the CDMF, or excuse me, the CMDF. They are driving around in these little golf cart buggies in this giant complex that is almost all underground, up and down ramps. I don't know if it was in an airport or a shopping mall that hadn't opened yet or or where they filmed this, or maybe it was in parts of a sports stadium or something. But they had these great spaces to work with, and they dressed them to be the this big scientific military facility of the, uh, the CMDF. Absolutely. And it does a good job of being that hybrid. It is a scientific military facility, and it is never too much one or the other. Yeah, it's unquestionably military. Everybody in charge is a military officer, but it is a very cutting-edge, high-tech mission that they're dealing with, mm-hmm. or or very, very high-tech. It's 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 the equivalent of the the Air Force branch of the U.S. space program. This is using miniaturization technology where they can shrink soldiers and tanks and battleships and everything they need. They can shrink down to tiny, tiny sizes, I guess, for for infiltration, for transport. But there's one problem. They have trouble doing this for any length of time. 60 minutes is their limit. Mm -hmm. After that, it... It expands back to its original size. But they have, a, they have hopes of figuring that out because there's a scientist who figured out how to get past that barrier. And, the, of course, the U.S. CMDF wants to be the first to get that information. But the very beginning of the movie is that scientist being attacked on his way to CMDF headquarters. And suffering an injury. Which is a very, very dramatic scene. Oh my goodness. This sudden, like, firefight in the street is just a... a, You hit the ground running in this film. It reminds me a little bit of that opening scene from the TV series, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. Yes. Where it's Nelson and the captain of the, the... The first captain of the Sea View getting chased by helicopters with gunfire and all of this. And it, it really exists only to set up the premise of who is who and, and why people are in these positions that they're in here. It is this terrific action scene that opens this movie. It's just to set up the, what are going to be the stakes and, and, and why is all of this happening? So the problem is this scientist is the only person who knows this information that the, the CMDF needs. And you get the impression that miniaturization is very much an active front on the Cold War. Oh, yeah. And the scientist, because of his injury, he's unconscious. He has a brain clot. He's being kept in a medically induced coma, but there's no way to surgically remove that clot without damaging his brain, possibly giving him lasting brain damage, possibly erasing the information that is so crucial. So they can't get to it from the outside. So they have to go in. And that means going inside, shrinking down a team of the submarine tech experts and doctors and our one kind of protagonist security man to pilot the Proteus into the bloodstream of this doctor, swim up to his brain and use a laser to perform <laughs> surgery inside. 
It's a wonderfully closed loop in that you need to use the miniaturization technology to save the guy who is going to make the miniaturization technology more useful. But because they don't have his, inf his information yet, there's a ticking clock on the entire thing because they need to be done and out within an hour or... Actually, it's not him who's in jeopardy if they're not done in an hour. It's them because as they get bigger... They're going to be attacked by the uh, the scientist's immune system. When they're small enough not to be a threat, apparently his body just says, you know, no big deal. Yeah, there's there's a couple of things that are going to be like once the once you've got the premise, there's a couple of things that start becoming don't think about it too much. <laughs> uh, I believe I've referenced it before, but there's a concept on places like TV tropes and other places online about fridge logic. Where you realize something about something when you are going to the refrigerator and getting yourself a late night snack. Yeah. I, I believe <laughs> the phrase was actually taken from an interview uh, with Alfred Hitchcock, where he described going to go get a late night snack and realizing something. And he didn't care too much about that. If it didn't take you out of the movie while you were watching the movie, he didn't mind if you figured out a plot hole three hours later uh, when you're getting a midnight snack. Absolutely. This movie is full of the alternate version of that known as fridge horror, <laughs> where you don't, it doesn't bother you in the movie. It's fine. You'll enjoy it. There are moments later where you're, where you will realize something and go, oh, <laughs> uh. Mrs. Darling Wife pointed yes. one of those out when we were watching this. And that is this the terrific scene we'll back up and talk about the cast and such but the terrific scene when they're first preparing the proteus they've got all the people inside a submarine they shrink the submarine down to a small size like a little bit smaller than a matchbox car and then they put that into a giant syringe of i presume saline or sterilized or or, or distilled water and then they shrink that submarine syringe water and all down so that the submarine is now, you know, the size of a microbe and the syringe is small enough to use to inject it. And as your mom pointed out, there's all that water. Yeah. And that's going to return to its regular volume after an hour, even after the submarine is out. This guy is just going to suddenly <laughs> swell up and explode. <laughs> he and suddenly has 30 liters of water he didn't have earlier. This is terrifying. This is a fine example of that. And I've got a couple of those that I'll be bringing up later. But I, I, I preface that now by saying none of this is stuff that you will, that in most cases, you would realize or would take you out of the story as they're telling it. Especially since those scenes where they're doing the miniaturization and all of that, they're so cool. They're so oh, well yes. done. They're really good, really good special effects for 1966. And it still holds up. It works in the context of the rest of the way it is shot. They don't try to get overcomplicated. They've got essentially some composites where they're just changing the scale of the images that they're compositing together and then they've got shots from inside the proteus where you've got big floor low angle shots of the giant people outside the proteus who are the scientists getting them prepared all of that is very simple but it's so effective absolutely this is just amazingly well done in terms of that there's moments where you look at I'm thinking of the scene where we see the control room from the window of the Proteus and we watch it get farther away. And it's really them just taking a, a video for, video of inside with the actors inside the model of the Proteus, the, the set for that, cropping out the windows and then doing a rack shot, pulling away from a camera placed on the ground to the control room that they've got people standing in in a in a soundstage but just putting those two things together so that your perspective is combined in your visual is amazing yeah it's well thought out cinematography and it was ernest laszlo who did the cinematography for this and i like the fact that the proteus it's not a a standard 
ocean-going submarine kind of design. It's more of a sleek spaceship sort of design. It's clearly, it was designed for missions to be undertaken by this uh, CMDF. Oh, yeah. Partly because it's, and we know that because its fuel system is, it's nuclear, but it uses like a tiny, tiny particle of nuclear material, which apparently is not affected by the shrinking. Yeah, that was one of those. So when the, the, the ship shrinks, when the ship is really small, that particle is plenty enough to fuel it. Something about that just reminded it just reminds me of the uh, the calculations that figure out how much radioactive potassium is in a banana, how many bananas it would take to kill you from radiation. <laughs> it's like, ah, yes, the radiation would kill you if you ate that many bananas. <laughs> but it's like, ah, ah, yes. You've got other problems at that point. You've got other problems at that point. It's like, ah, we're putting radioactive material in a guy. Is that safe? It's like... You've got bigger problems if anything goes wrong here, dude. Calm down. Something goes wrong with this ship. The radioactive material is going to be much much better than the submarine returning to full size in his lung. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we've talked about what the, the premise of this is. We've talked about their cool submarine, the Proteus. Let's talk for a moment about who's on board that. Because most of the... Most of the action involves just this small number of people, this little ensemble who are the, the, the mission crew on the Proteus. And we start out with Stephen Boyd, and he's kind of our proxy because it's through the explanations to him that we learn what's going on. We learn about the existence of the, the CMDF, everything else. He is, a, he is a CIA agent enlisted to protect the surgeon who is part of the crew. And he's, uh, the, his character's name is Charles Grant. And that surgeon is a doctor, is it Jan, I guess, Dr. Jan Benes, played by Jean Duval, who is like a world-class, like the best neurosurgeon around. And he's going in there, although it's having him go in there to perform surgery with a laser rifle, it's it's kind of like signing up a miniaturist to suddenly paint murals or something because yeah he's used to working on a very different scale mm. and, and you've got the names there uh Jan Benes is the man that they're going into so oh, they're, they're going into okay. Dr. Jan Jan Benes who perfected the formula for unlimited miniaturization but Arthur Kennedy is there as Peter Duval top cast, top class brain surgeon ah uh, Peter uh, Duval that's the yes They've got Captain Bill Owens, played by William Redfield, the Navy officer uh, who designed the Proteus, and Colonel Donald Reed as the operational commander for the Combined Miniature Deterrent Forces, played by Arthur O'Connell. Those two are kind of acting as our, our, our heads in commands, talking about the dangers of this. Yeah, we cut back to what's happening, you know, up outside, and it's mostly them and their team tracking the Proteus. As it goes through all of this. And then Donald Pleasance playing Dr. Michaels. And we have certainly found, uh, encountered Donald Pleasance before. We saw him in at least one Columbo. Yes. And, of course, he plays the president in Escape from New York. He's just one of those guys who... Everything he shows up in, it's like, oh, you're going to be interesting. I, I've never seen him be boring. Yeah, he... He seems like he's, I don't know, there's something about his look that makes me expect he would be just a one-note actor, and yet he has such a range in mm -hmm. all these character roles that have taken him through decades. And then finally, we have Raquel Welch as Cora Peterson, technical assistant for to Dr. Duvall, who might be the assistant, but honestly, she's more of their tech expert she's the doing maintenance on the laser. She's got knowledge about things. They they actually do give her some team agency other than just being there to assist one of the other people. Yeah, I mean, there is a little bit of that expected sexism where some of the military people don't want her anywhere near this project. We're not going to send a woman. We've got plenty of men who volunteered. And yet, clearly, she is, she's not just like, She's not just the doctor's surgical nurse. She is his technical assistant. And he you know, needs her, her specialized knowledge and expertise to do this. 
Absolutely. And one of the reasons they're sending the CIA guy as the, the to, to run security and ultimately protect the comatose scientist is that they know that the other side is after the scientist. They've already tried to attack him and put him into this coma. And they don't necessarily trust the neurosurgeon. Yeah. They trust the like the head of medical operations for the CMDF is Donald Pleasant's character, but they need somebody who can essentially be the the eyes and ears and muscle if needed in case one of the other people they don't know quite as well are really co-opted by the other side. <sighs> in in insert the uh the there is an imposter among us sound from <laughs> among us. That would be a pretty cool Among Us map. The Proteus is kind of small. Kind of of small. This thing is very compact. This thing has a small central tower with a... Where the pilot sits on top of the tower looking out a bubble in the top. And then it's kind of an oblong ring around that pillar with little spots for everyone to work in. And two little side wings for, like, supplies and the pedestal we put the laser gun on. (laughs) Right. I love the little bubble dome that the pilot is in. Yes, it's some. It's very mecha like. There's, oh, some, there's something about it that reminds me of the way you'd see like a mecha pilot in a Gundam thing sitting in their chair with the little heads up display dome around them and their little controls on the arms like that. It's yeah, it's somewhere between a mecha and the command deck of a submarine with the rest of the submarine removed. Exactly. Oh, I know. The the Among Us map wouldn't just be the Proteus. It would be the guy. Yes, it would. <laughs> we have to go to the brain and connect wires. We have to go to the lungs and deal with the oxygen. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> there's a whole there's a whole thing of this in there. But yeah, they they're sending in the CIA agent as you know, security. You know, like, oh, you're kind of telling everyone else, oh, he'll be the guy to shoot a shoot something if it tries to latch onto the ship. And turn to him and say, you're the guy to shoot someone if they try to sabotage the ship. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and naturally, things do not go as smoothly as expected. No. They do have a neat, simple route planned to just be injected at the um, carotid artery, follow that up into the brain, navigate to the clot, have the... Um, have the neurosurgeon do an EVA with the laser rifle and melt the uh, the clot, and then exit. But of course, it gets more complicated. There's an internal rupture, you know, internal bleeding that carries them from the artery into a vein. So they're headed towards the heart, where they're not supposed to go because the ship isn't really set up to handle that kind of turbulence. But... They are not doing this and figuring out what's happening on their own. We described that we've got these two commanders of the both the Navy and the miniaturization forces in the control room, but that's because there's a control room and a massive staff of doctors maintaining the patient in a cold sleep so that it doesn't pro- that his condition doesn't progress and ready to perform surgery and track things. And we've got an entire team, like a space launch, with this giant map of the circulatory system of the patient that they have on the wall that they're tracking the Proteus's location <laughs> with. There's one guy on the uh, on the platform whose job is just to move the the magnet or the suction cup that marks where the, the Proteus is. And I love their tracking system. Oh yes, <laughs> that's the one thing that seems a little cheap, and yet I get it is they have this rack that they roll up over the, the head and chest of the, uh, the comatose scientist with these tiny little radar dishes looking for the, to the trace of the radioactive particle. Yeah, it's just wiggling <laughs> back and forth. The only thing it could have done more than it wasn't already was spin around his head. <laughs> but it's like, it's this little tiny crown of... Of little radar dishes. It's adorable in a way it shouldn't be. Yes, they move a little awkwardly, so that was probably a, a difficult prop to set up. But They move like puppy tails. Ta- cool. they, they, they move like wagging puppy tails for some reason. <laughs> They've got that kind of like eager little energy. <laughs> is it here? Is it here? Get is the submarine, here? boy. Uh, Where's the submarine? Where's the submarine? 
But yeah, they're tracking this whole thing, but there's a massive team outside, which means every time something is happening to our crew, we get a cutaway to like two dozen more people going <laughs> nervous about the exact same thing. And yeah. that's wonderful because you're, you kind of get to be part of the command crew in terms of audience where all the command crew can do is watch what's happening and be worried. And so you're in the exact same boat with them. I don't know exactly how they're communicating. And that's ostensibly the CIA guy's role on the Proteus as he's their communications guy. But I like the fact that they can only communicate via Morse code. And that makes sense. I don't know if they're using literal radio waves to send that Morse code, or maybe they're modulating something about their radioactive signature, mm -hmm. but it makes sense that they can't use like full voice communications and the like, because the radio wavelengths on which you can send and receive depend a lot on the exact size of your antenna. Yeah. And their antenna is really, really tiny. So maybe it's by a sonar or something. I don't know how they're transmitting. I mean, all, all you'd need is a small sh lead shielding that goes up and down <laughs> over your radioactive particle to create a little blip. <laughs> Maybe that's it. It's, it's, it's the flashlight with a little um, shutter trigger right. Morse code method. <laughs> so that was a nice detail. And it does add that tension. They, they for the first part of the mission, they... They have this limited communication with the Proteus. They can send Morse code back and forth. And then partway through, they lose all contact with the Proteus. Because in, in hearkening back to Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, there is sabotage going on. There is. In addition to them being thrown off course and having to find a, a new path. And it helps because Donald Pleasant's character is a circulatory specialist, so he's got navigation charts of the human circulatory system to uh, to get them there but there's there also there's sabotage and somebody's messed with the laser rifle and and like taken it out of its protective uh rack so that it gets tossed around when the ship does and they need to to fix that they need to cannibalize the radio or the communications deck yeah and there's just all these things where the technical side, it's it's kind of standard in that sense, but it's done very well. Someone has sabotaged the things on the ship. There's questions, but there's bigger problems we have to face as a group. So you're forced to trust the untrustworthy people around you. It's it's very good at doing so. And it's doing so in a beautifully different environment. The, the setting of inside this doctor is amazingly both amazingly beautiful and fleshed out, pun not intended, <laughs> but also perfectly silly at some points where the design is like a little too ridiculous and some of the props are noticeably cheap in an endearing way. It is, and, and this is a movie that I really hope that the, the Alamo does a, a retro screening of sometime. Because I've never seen this on a big screen, and I really would like to, because it's the visuals, they're very, very trippy, very impressive. They're probably pretty accurate to what was known at the time, given you know what you know the microscopy that, that was available at the time. And they, they had a lot of medical consultants, of course, on this. So it really does it's it doesn't feel like you're in outer space. It always it has this this weird big landscapes or, or vistas within the the human body, and yet it always seems weirdly claustrophobic. Not just because you're in a submarine, but because the submarine is also in a limited space. Oh yeah, when they're going through um, veins and capillaries they didn't expect, and it gets so narrow, and it's just terrifying that they could bump into a wall and cut something and destroy something. That's tense and it's not that red and the oranges are common but they're not the only color the inside of is of a person is this wild technicolor space where different things have different colors and organic shapes that i mean yeah we've you can recognize as the thing you might have seen in a photo that's taken through a microscope 
But when all put together, it's landscape-like. Yes. In a distinct way. And it is, it's not outer space-like. It is also very aquatic feeling because it is, you're inside veins, you're inside the wet parts of a person. <laughs> in that part. It's like, this is a, this is a submarine kind of environment in that sense. And here again, we get some interesting information as, as Donald Pleasance explains things to the CIA guy who is surprised, well, we're in the blood, it's not red. Now, when you're at that scale, you can see the individual uh, red blood cells, and those might be red when they're full of oxygen, but the rest of it, the plasma, it's more like seawater than what we think blood is like. And their, their travels take them... Well, there's this really tense scene where they they do have to go through the heart to get back into the arteries to go up to the uh, the brain. Yeah, and they have to. They've got they've as you mentioned they've cooled down the patient and reduced his heart rate, so they've got like fifty seven seconds or something to make it, or some small number, some some small amount of time to get from one valve of the heart to another to uh to make it out before they get tossed around by the uh the the unsurvivable turbulence and as they go through there they uh one of the things that gets sabotaged is the air supply yeah they take some damage and a valve was stuck open so they lose a bunch of their their air so where are they going to find air they go to the lungs <laughs> Like most submarines, this has a snorkel that it can use to pump in air, so they have to push that snorkel out into the guy's lungs, to uh, into one of his lungs, to pull in some air when he breathes. And it's a, it's a wildly tense thing, because we found an area where it's dry. You kind of go through the membrane, and you go from the wet blood area into this dry, open caverns of whistling wind and you're tiny and light and getting getting tossed around by it mm -hmm. and this is where our cia guy gets gets to be the man of action who's doing most of this but again it's it's it in in if you just look at like a still of it it looks kind of silly but the movie makes it work um fridge horror moment they brought compressed air that they'd compressed down by shrinking it. Yeah. Do they have to do something to the air that they pull in that is normal-sized from the guy's lungs? How could they use that? Huh. That's an interesting question. Point. I mean, yeah. it would be... How would... Let's see. It'd be like air that's just way bigger than your lungs can deal with because you pulled it out of the lungs you can stand inside. Yeah, there's a lot of hand-waving about <laughs> yeah. how this miniaturization that's, works. That's one of those Are moments. they taking a molecule and making the molecule smaller in some way? Or are they taking atoms and making the atoms smaller? And and those... The answers to those questions would, yeah, would have a big impact on what happens when you... When someone who's tiny tries to breathe a gas that is gigantic. And let's not even question how a person who is a full person's weight, when shrunk, doesn't cause severe damage standing on the walls of the inside of his lung. Oh, I'm sure he did, but, you know, it's yeah. probably not a lot worse than a little tiny bit of smoke inhalation. Good point. So, they, they snorkel out air from the lungs, and then make their way back up to the brain. And they have trouble getting there because, they, or they, they have to make some, some tactical decisions because they're running out of time because all this, this being off course has changed things for them. And they decide essentially to take a shortcut through the ear. Oh, yeah. Which does lead to one of the most brilliant scenes in the movie. They're in the ear, and the way it's presented here. Any the tiniest sound outside would just be a, a tidal wave of destruction for them inside. And as they're trying to get through, they get they get caught by some of the immune system and get trapped. <laughs> so they're stuck there for a little bit. The entire facility has to be on hold. 
And this is where we see how that the, the, the support team outside is smart, too, because they, they're out of communication, and yet they notice, oh, they're going through the ear. Wait, everybody be quiet. We can tell where they are, and noise would be bad. And of course, that means something gets dropped and noise <laughs> happens. Of course. And that is is catastrophic, and it sends people tumbling all over the place. And it it causes people to tumble into things that can't make that they damage, and that gets the attention of white blood cells in the immune system. Mm-hmm. And Raquel Welch winds up getting attacked by um by the immune system, and they have to hurry her back into the Proteus and tear off these crystallizing uh, antibodies. That is one of the creepy things. Like, the antibodies, like, attach to you like a film and then turn into a crystallized solid to trap you. And it's really creepy. It is. And yet it's still, it's it's weirdly believable. It makes sense. I'm sure that uh, scientists today would have some corrections, but... But it all it's all very, very believable. Oh, absolutely. And it's brilliantly dramatic because it means that you've got, you know, a ticking clock inside a ticking clock inside a, a, an unknown situation. And it, 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 it gives you that one scene. The, uh, you know, she is in, in jeopardy and they have to rescue her. And it also raises those stakes or clarifies those stakes of... If we are here for more than our our 59-minute limit and start getting big, this is going to happen to the submarine and everything else, including all of us. Oh, yeah. They have to make their way to the brain. And I'm happy that I was okay with this. Me too. I think we've discussed on the podcast before, I have not done well with visual depictions of brains in media. It's just something that immediately... Hebe's my jeebies and and turns me off of a lot of things. This was the the perspective they gave made it an alien environment that was interesting and fascinating without yeah. having that immediate nope reaction. Yeah, and they weren't depicting the brain as an organ. It was this landscape of of shimmering lights which were representations of nerve impulses. Oh yeah, like this this slightly electric uh, cypress forest. That's a really good description. Yeah, it, it was very forest like, and they eventually do find the the blood clot. Yes, and and Donald Pleasance does you know do a fair job of navigating them there. Mm-hmm. And they manage to fix the rifle with parts from the radio, so all of that is going to go okay. But then, of course. I can't say that it's a huge surprise to find out who is the saboteur. It's it's not too big a surprise. No, it's it's Donald Pleasant's character. It's the medical director for the C uh, the CMDF. It's the one guy that the military people told the CIA guy. Well, we know we can trust him. Of it's this neurosurgeon we're not sure about. Of well, course, it was course. the guy you say of don't course. look at, and he brains the pilot with a. a the wrench and attempts to crash the uh, the, the Proteus into the, everybody else while they're outside trying to do surgery. And this giant fight goes down, but thanks to damage to the Proteus and quick thinking, they they make they force the Proteus to uh, be attacked by the immune system, and it. The same thing that happened of gathering it up and crystallizing happens to the ship itself. This is a submarine movie where the submarine doesn't make it. It doesn't. Which is kind of wild to me. So many of these films, like, the submarine is such an iconic piece that it has to survive. It can get beaten up, but it has to be there at the end to you know sail into the, the sunset on. Yeah, you can't imagine Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea continuing or ending without the 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 promise of more adventures for the sea view the missiles are for oh no (laughs) (laughs) but the proteus it had served its purpose and everybody gets out except the the bad guy and the pilot 
Well, don't they get him out? I thought he died with the ship. But they've now got to figure out a way out without the Proteus. And here again, they they have no communication with the outside, so that is so crucial. And it's this this clever moment where they figure out a solution, but they've got to trust the outside command to figure out what they're doing as well. And we get to see the outside command who have just been kind of watching this being nervous and giving us philosophical ponderings about what they're doing. <laughs> kind of step into gear and realize something at the end. And- Help save the day. And that ends with a, a really cool scene when they are rescued and the survivors are taken out of the scientist just in time to grow back to normal size. It's this dramatic kind of final rescue from the rescue. And summing it up, it, it, it seems like a fairly straightforward story. And yet, every one of those markers, every one of those, those sections is a surprise because none of the things go according to plan. And we really, I think it's played very well by this ensemble being surprised and having to react in the moment to all these things that are happening to them, whether it's being tossed from a, uh, an artery into a vein or, or having to refuel at the lung or, or finding out who the, uh, the saboteur is. Oh yeah. It's one of those movies. It sounds so gimmicky. And the first time I saw it, or first time I saw parts of it, when I turned on the TV and it was somewhere in the middle of it, it looked kind of gimmicky. But if you let it pull you in from the beginning, uh, it, it's a very different experience. And I think seeing it uninterrupted, seeing it on the DVD that we got, that was also a better experience than seeing it chopped up for TV. I, I can... I. I can't imagine watching it chopped up. That's got to do so much damage to the the connective tissue of this story. <laughs> it is. It's it is so immersive, no pun intended, that anything that disrupts that is is a problem, I think. And I think we've tipped our hand somewhat, but this is uh is bringing us around to our our final questions. Absolutely. Well, screen or no screen? I'd say screen. I thought this was very good, and being, being as I was describing before, a movie that so many other things reference, seeing what they're referencing has a value here. And if this wasn't good at presenting it, I'd say, you know it, you don't have to. But this did an interesting enough job. It's, it's got value in watching it. And I admit, I just loved the aesthetic of the... Uh, of the mi- miniaturization defense force here. Like, <laughs> I like their offices too much to, to not suggest. Go look at just the beginning, and if you go ooh and ah over how they did their internal decorating, talk to me. <laughs> we share tastes. Yeah, I, I say screen, and I'll say again, I would love to see this on a big screen for some of those, some of those um, visuals that we get within the human body. So this is a a screen for me. Which, and our next question. This gets interesting. Revive, reboot, or rest in peace? Well, this is where I always talk about other instances we'd have to mention of doing exactly this. And the answer is there's so many. There are sequel books. There are sequels to the novelization of the movie because the movie was different enough than the story it was based on. That it's considered its own thing with its own sequel sets. So there's a novelization, which is not just a quick and dirty adaptation of the screenplay, I gather. Yeah. And then there are sequels to the novelization? Yes. So there are more books about the, the CMDF? And, of, and stories about their Cold War counterparts on the other side. Oh. And their own missions to do similar things. Interesting. And there was a cancelled sequel slash remake. That, like, it, it, it kept on changing, but there was talks in like 1984. Huh. Some of what was being considered to create that was later turned into the 87 film Inner Space. I was wondering about that. That's clearly one of the most direct successors to this. And yet it, it takes the ideas 
and turns them into a gimmick or uses them as a gimmick as opposed to using them as a premise to launch a really solid adventure story. Mm-hmm. But they actually did take bits of, of a proposed sequel to Fantastic Appar- Voyage. A- apparently. Huh. Or, or at least heavy inspiration from some of their attempt, their, their screenplay ideas for the other one. This is also on the, sh- was on the list of possible projects back in 2017 that Guillermo del Toro was looking into making a version of. I can see that working. I can see that working. Thinking about some of the things he did with, um, well, with uh, Pacific Rim, for example. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that reminds me, something I didn't mention, and I do this too often. We're, we'll talk about a movie, we'll talk about especially a movie we like, and I will forget, forget to mention the score, which is so often such an important part of a movie. And this had a score by um, Leonard Brosman, which was... It was kind of retro-futuristic, or it was 60s futuristic, but in a kind of a trippier way than something we get, for example, in, in Colossus, the Forbin Project. It fit the subject matter, it fits some of those wild, trippy visuals so well that I think the score does a lot to sell this movie. Oh, the score was fantastic. And there's one more thing I've got to reference... The animated series. Say that again. Fantastic Voyage, the animated series. (laughs) 17 episodes released between 1998 and 1969 on ABC. It was a an, a full animated story of other adventures with, like, a Proteus 2. In the human body? Yeah. And some of the things I'm reading here are ridiculous. I, I, I can't put into words the little bits I'm reading. <laughs> they introduced a master of mysterious powers known only as Guru to the team. So they added a magic guy? Yes! Oh, please. It's just, what am I reading i i couldn't <laughs> but apparently they've tried some stuff wow i'm gonna have to i'm maybe i'll get up the courage to seek that out that, but that, i had no idea w- if we can find an episode or two this might be a patreon bonus <laughs> there are some things like that that we're still looking for like uh, the lost island from sid and marty croft that reused a bunch of land of the lost stuff yeah still looking for that somebody wrote in to recommend that to us and uh, and uh, don't worry, we are still searching. Absolutely. But in terms of this, revive, reboot, or rest in peace? I'm going to say rest in peace, just because so many other things do it, and it gets a little... I don't think you can do the same story again without our greater knowledge of biology and science in one direction. Or the ridiculousness of it in another direction, getting in the way. Right. And you couldn't really retell this story in the present day, because if you had this same problem, you had still had available like next generation technology, the answer wouldn't be to shrink down a surgeon with a laser rifle. The answer would be to send in a tiny robot. Yeah. We can pretty much do that now, or almost. The only thing you can possibly get away with is... We can't send a robot. We sent a robot. The thing we're sending you to deal with is the robot. (laughs) And the only reason I'm not then suggesting this is that's the plot of the third novel. (laughs) (laughs) Which also introduced aliens, apparently. Oh, my goodness. So I point out, if your science doesn't get in the way... The ridiculousness will. Yeah, you need there's kind a, of a tight rein on there. There's with a science. fine line of being able to get away with this without it being silly, and they did it the right time, and they did it perfectly. Yeah, let's leave that alone. Leave that alone. If you shoot the shot and you hit a bullseye, don't fire yeah, again. Hang up the target and then do something else. Exactly. That's what this is. So I'm saying rest in peace for yeah, these reasons. I agree. Rest in peace. It's it's a worthwhile movie. It's an interesting, not just as an artifact of its time, but as an artifact of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. But yeah, let's leave it as yeah. is. And, and, and leaving it as is, this is a star that one can chart 
their media around because you'll probably wind up making an episode parodying this movie if your TV show runs long enough. <laughs> I am looking at the list on Wikipedia of episodes inspired by this, and it is wild because it is everything from the hot like a lot of it's animated because the it's easy to do this in animation but it's it's everything from the most you know adult swim rude adult cartoons to educational kids program and everything in between <laughs> ah, there's so many versions of this well i'm glad i got to show this to you it was an interesting way to round out submarine month absolutely an interesting way to round up submarine month not the direction one might expect in submarine month yep and in a couple of weeks we'll be back again but then it will be june yes and if you've listened to us for the past couple of years uh you'll know that june means something special at least one more time oh yeah so we'll be back with a new theme revisiting our 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 pal ray harryhausen yay (laughs) it's harryhausen month again Looking forward to that. Oh, yes. And, and we might, related to that, I think we're going to have a Patreon bonus toward the end of June that also includes Ms. Raquel Welch. Oh, yes. Well, in the meantime, where can they shrink down and hunt for you, Dad? <laughs> well, you can find me at uh, bymatthewporter.com or bymatthewporter.omg.lol. And that's where you'll find links to my YouTube channel, where I review movies and food from the Alamo Drafthouse, and anything else I'm doing online. And Ian, where can people find you? I can be found at itemcrafting.com, as itemcrafting on Twitter, and as itemcrafting live on Twitch, as well as itemcrafting.omg.lol. And for the podcast, if you want more of the podcast, you can go to immproject.com and find all of our back episodes, including... 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, and Conan the Destroyer. And if you would like to support the IMMP, you can support us on Patreon, where you get even more audio content for supporting. Or you can go to our shop if you like things like coffee mugs and t-shirts and notebooks and things. If you want to contact us, you can use the contact page there at immproject.com. Or you can find us on our Discord, also linked on the website. Or if you want to send us honest-to-goodness mail via the U.S. Postal Service, you can reach us at P.O. Box 271167, Littleton, Colorado, 80127. And if you do send us something by the contact page or by, uh, by send us uh, something by mail or anything, just let us know if it's okay to read it on the podcast. But most important, thank you very much for listening to us. Thank you uh, very much for sharing this with your friends if you enjoyed it. And we hope you'll be back to join us soon. In the meantime... Go find something new to watch.